0: you know, all the money and all the access and all the accolades in the world aren't gonna make me feel better. So I know that the only way I can really do that is to to get people not following me, but standing next to me. With multifamily investing or, or single family home investing, you're not gonna make enough money month to month to use that money to buy another property over the short term, but with Airbnb, you can, right? Like believe in yourself and bet on yourself more because there's something, there's something unique about all of us.
1: I'm Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. My mission is to help you crush your self-limiting beliefs and embrace being unapologetically you. The Born Unbreakable podcast brings you inspirational stories from all over the world that will empower you to unlock your unbreakable spirit. I'd love to partner with you on your next breakthrough. Go to bornunbreakable.com to schedule a free transformational call. Action begins today welcome to the born unbreakable podcast the pre thanksgiving edition episode with coach des and my guest ralph Debugnara, nara aka debug so you gotta check out the instagram that's my first call to action i usually wait till the end of the episode to do a call to action but i'm telling you debug so d-i-b-u-g follow him on instagram you'll be inspired all day long, I was like, wow, this is one of the best follows I've, I've ever done. But, um, I met Ralph at an event in Nashville last month called Rise and Record. Um, a phenomenal event, by the way, put on by Brandon T. Adams and his beautiful wife. So, uh, you gotta check that out. That's another conversation. But, um, Ralph was actually one of the speakers at the event. And he happened to be in an industry that I have an obsession with, uh, which is real estate. He uh, is the president of Home Qualified. And his like portfolio is insane. When I first heard an introduction of Ralph and I learned that he's closed in his career over $40 billion of loans, I was like, is that billions, like with a B? I had to double check and like fact check that because I was like, you know, we're in the era of like alternative facts. So you kind of got to double check your shit, you know. So I was like, holy crap, that's amazing. So he he does loans. He does Airbnbs. But on top of that, he's just a really amazing person with an incredible story. Besides the the business that he's in, he's also an author. He's a speaker. He's a motivator. He's very compelling, and that's the absolute reason why I've asked him to come on the show so I can have a conversation with him. So, Ralph, thank you for being here on holiday pre-weekend of you know. But well, thank everybody-
0: you. For having me. That was an amazing introduction. Much better than I could ever say it myself. So I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> um, so one thing, okay. So when I was sitting. Well, first of all, let me tell you like of the demeanor of Ralph. So my, my, besides that, I saw him on a billboard and <laughs> I knew he was like an important person. Um, I saw him walking around very busy. He was always on the phone. So I was like, he's like probably closing a deal or something. Then I had the fortune, there was this VIP dinner and I had the fortune of having Ralph at my table. And I was like, and he probably came from something important because he came a little bit later and we were all catching up and stuff. And, um, I was just like so impressed that, you know, busy as you are, you can be present to, you know, to go to events like this and take your, your time out to speak. So, and then I noticed his accent and I was like, sounds like a New Yorker.
0: Well, yeah.
1: so, right. <laughs> So Brooklyn is in the house, but actually you're in Jersey. You were in
0: Jersey. Jersey now, yeah. I'm born in Brooklyn. I was in Manhattan. I was in Manhattan up until about five oh. or six years ago, and then I moved over the right over the bridge to New Jersey and right on the water in New Jersey. Um, but I made the. I needed more space. I had two kids, so I needed more space. So I, I moved over to New Jersey. But I'm still a New Yorker when people ask me. I love it. <laughs>
1: You're you're representing the East Coast. I love yeah. it. I love I love learning about the story of your family, your wife, and your kids. So I do want to start with that, Ralph, because before you became all the things that I just described, you were growing up. You were growing up in Brooklyn. Yeah, and, and you were living your life over there, and it wasn't quite the same. So, what was your upbringing life th- uh, like there? And then, what led you? to decide to get into this whole industry of loans and real estate.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in a, 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 an Italian Brooklyn neighborhood, um, very much like you see in movies, whether it's they show in Brooklyn or other the city, But I grew up in a very Italian Brooklyn neighborhood. Um, my father was a, a teacher. Um, he worked like three jobs so we could live in the places we lived. And we lived in a two-family home. So it was very small. I shared a bedroom with my brother. We were like this far apart from each other in the bedroom. And... Um, But I loved where I live. I loved the neighborhood I grew up in. I loved kind of everything about it and um, kind of grew up around New York my whole entire life, around New York City. But, you know, I got to places in my life where I just wasn't, um, I lost confidence like over and over again, you know, throughout my adolescence and, you know, kind of even into adulthood. And in doing that, like it caused me to, um, you know, fail at a lot of things, including school. Um, You know, I just wasn't somebody who could sit still and concentrate in school and, Instead of kind of leaning into it and saying, Hey, I gotta figure this out, and I just kinda of quit. Like I just was like, Well, I'll just skate through. And I did, and I and I skated through all the way through college. And you can, you could kind of just go through the motions and get through it. And um I that's what I did. You know, I, I went to a city university. Um, I never left the the nest. I didn't want to leave my neighborhood, I didn't want to leave my parents. I just didn't I was very, very comfortable and I just didn't want to be uncomfortable. So, you know, through high school and college, I kinda um Gravitating towards what I was, what I was going to be, but you know, kind of failing at, at, in school made me feel like an outcast um, because I wasn't part of the crowd that was excelling. You know, within the walls that I was in every single day. So um, I feel like an outcast. I started to act like an outcast, and in doing that. You know, I just got involved with the wrong people, doing the wrong things, um, which led to some problems in life and some skewed views on what the world should be and 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 that kind of stuff. Um, But even that, at some point, I was smart enough to see that that's not where I wanted my life to go long-term. So I graduated college, it was around 2001, 2002. It was the dot-com bubble. So it was a recession, we went to a recession, not like we are now, but not that far off. Um, And there was really no jobs, it was only sale jobs. So I took a job working for Canon. I was selling copiers door-to-door in Manhattan, which was awful, Um, awful. It's knocking, having doors slammed in your face is not fun. So, um, I took a job doing that and after a, a, a short period of time with that, I was like, this isn't for me. I got to do something else. And I had a friend that was in the mortgage business, which at the time was just kind of starting to, to kind of grow again. And he was at a company and he said, Hey, I'm in a company that's on wall street. They're growing. They're looking to go public. I can get you into the training program and in a couple of months you can be on the phone. Um, I was like, I'm not really a salesperson. I'm doing sales now, but I'm failing. Um, you know what does this job pay and he's like it doesn't pay anything it's commission only but you know it gives you an opportunity and i really didn't have any other options so it was either do that or kind of go back to what i was doing on the street which i didn't want to do anymore um as a long term thing so I, I had a little bit of money saved up that could last me for a couple of months and i just kind of dove in uh to to mortgages and real estate uh i bought my first property at 23 i excelled in and mortgages as it kind of grew until about 2007 2008 and I really lost everything um, within a very short period of time. Uh, I lost my job. I lost my income. I lost my savings. I lost properties that I owned. And I, I kind of started over again in about 2008 with a lot of debt and not a lot of prospects. And I built it from 2008 until now. And there's a lot of stuff that happened in between. But um, from zero again until and, and and we did about $2 billion last year in mortgage business. Um, and we're going to do somewhere between 1.6 and 1.7. the shirt's down a little bit. But we grew it into something huge again between me and my partner. And, and uh, you know, it's just uh, I'm happy that that's where it's happened. But it's been like this. It has not been like this. So that's oh. the, that's a short version.
1: <laughs> a lot of peaks and valleys. Yes. Right. And I think a lot of people can relate that growing up, sometimes you're just you're lost in the sauce a little bit until you're presented with an opportunity. And when you don't have many options, you have to make a decision about what, what direction you're going to go. What, when it was 2007, 2008, and things were just going to not very good for you, what made you want to keep going? Because I think a lot of people, they were like, I'm out. This is just way too much. And I'm not.
0: The honest answer is, um, at that point, I didn't really feel like that I could excel at anything else. Um, I because I only really been successful at this point in my life at this. Um, and I had tried some other things in the meantime. So I was one. I I thought that I had no choice but to stay. And two, I was too prideful to to let everybody know that I had failed because I felt like I had I was I was seen as a failure up until the point where I started excelling in this business and people like, you know, I was somebody to forget about. It was just like, ah, whatever, Ralph's Ralph. You know what I mean? It's no big deal. Um, and then I had become this person who was more, was more successful than the majority of the people that I had grown up with. And I just didn't want to admit that I had failed so badly. I mean, I really failed. Um, I didn't want to admit to my parents and to my brother and to my immediate family that I failed. So I just pretended to them like everything was okay and I woke up every single day in, in, in some darkness and I just dug in and because I didn't give myself a choice, it ended up working out. But it was by no means a planned strategic act. It was I got no choice. I guess I, I'm going to get up and do this. So that's, I learned a lot of lessons from it, but that was really the reality of it.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I I, I can totally understand that is it's like you're you're answering, first of all, to yourself. And just your own abilities of saying, like, "Okay, I have to persevere, but then you've got people that you know you want to be proud of the of the things that you're doing in the world, and I think we we all can have you know we all have that feeling of wanting to be the best that we can, especially for the people that are around us that love us and want to see us succeed
0: you know. I, 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 I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. And you don't want people, and then my situation was someone that I wanted people to worry about me. Some not wanting to feel like a failure. Some not wanting to feel like that person that was back in college that people didn't really think very much of, um, you know, you know, along those lines. So I think in life in general, you, you know, unfortunately some people are always going to see you as the person they met you as, right. They don't see growth and they're not going to see growth because they, they want to keep you in a box because it makes them feel more comfortable. Um, and, you know, it took me a long time to realize that in general, like, hey, just because somebody perceives me a certain way doesn't mean that's who I really am. And I know who I really am and I have to be that person. So, you know, some of it's just insecurities and pride and everything else, but you have to get over on your own.
1: Yeah. Yeah. that's a, It's a, it's a inward journey. <laughs> you get past your own blocks, your own ego. I think that's probably one of the biggest things that get in people's way. It's just that ego that's talking in your head all the time. I'm really curious, what the catalyst was for you deciding to write a book.
0: So that's a good question, actually. Sometimes I don't remember. Um, so I, you know, during uh, the beginning of the pandemic, uh, you know, I'm in New York, the area, so it's, it was really shut down completely, um, and I had to close down all of our. We had to close down all of our offices. So we sent, you know, everybody home and I was coming to the office still every single day. I was in this office, actually, um, sitting here by myself. And before we sent everybody home, I said to everybody, you know, listen, I don't know what's going to happen. At, the, at the, fir- the beginning part of the, the pandemic, um, real estate mortgages was really, really bad because you couldn't show homes, you couldn't sell homes. And the financing was drying up because nobody knew what to do. Um, cause people had lost their jobs and have to pay their mortgage, all the stuff. Right. So for the first couple of months, it was really, really dark. But what I said to everybody before they sent them home, based off of my, you know, past experiences is like, look, um, I don't know what we're going to do every single day at this point, but whatever we're going to do, we're going to get up and work and, and we just got to keep moving forward. I don't know what that means, but we just have to do something. Let's just do something every single day, whatever that is, right. To progress, To and, and hopefully we'll be able to figure it out. So. I'm sitting here by myself with a lot of free time on my hands, and I start just doing something every single day, and that's something included um, starting a podcast, uh, writing a script for a TV show, which is going to be on Direc- Direct TV this year, um, and then and then st- started to write this book uh, about – it was really based on an experience I had had uh, during the uh, pandemic and then when George Floyd happened. You know, in New York City was like all these riots. Um, they were looting. they were riots. There was all these protests going on. And it was just like, I, I feel like, I felt like everything exploded, right? Everybody was stuck inside and then they were outside and everything was, and I was, I'm not a person who watches the news. I just don't like to fill my head with that kind of stuff. But I was getting up every single day and turning on the news to see what was happening. And like, it was horrible. Like, you know, it was like they were looting. There was rioting. And um, what happened with him was terrible. And, but I didn't think that my best use of my time was to protest, right? Like, I just didn't think that I was really benefiting anybody by by marching every single day. So, and I remember one day um, I got up and I turned on the news and I was looking in the Bronx had been looted the night before. And, like, there was glass all over in the news. And I was like, you know what? I got to feel better today. I'm just, I, I went downstairs. I, I grabbed garbage bags. I grabbed the shovel. I grabbed the broom. And I got my car and I drove to the Bronx. And I drove up the blocks that I knew had been had been looted. And I got out of the car. and I just found one store that had particularly been kind of destroyed. And I just started cleaning up. Right. And then there were people in the shop and then people around me started helping. And we all just started sweeping, cleaning this person's store up. And I did that for a couple of hours and, you know, uh, put my broom back in my trunk, got back in the car and I went to drive home. And I think I was expecting to feel better. And I didn't. Uh, I didn't feel at all better. I felt like I don't feel like I'm making a difference. I don't feel like doing anything. And um, my kids are biracial. My kid, my, uh, my wife is the Dominican and my kids are biracial, right? So, uh, and I'm always a person who's had a very eclectic amount of people around me. Like from all races and walks of life, I'm just more because I'm just so curious all the time that I want to get to know people of different things. I'm always, so, but it's always been who I am. Uh, but I come from, even being from New York, New York is a very, um, ethically diverse place, but it's very segregated and people wouldn't think that it's very neighborhoody, Right. And it's a lot of immigrants originally in these neighborhoods. So immigrants do how immigrants do. Right. They, they try to put down the people who came after them because they just don't want to be the bottom person anymore. So what I saw over my life was a lot of ra- it's, it's a lot of blatant racism. Right. So, you know, a couple of things that the George Floyd made me think is one, um, what can I do to actually create change that, that actually benefits people? And two, I don't want my my children to be judged by either the color of their skin because they really look pretty white like me, and or um, the fact that they are a minority. I don't want them to be judged either way. I don't want them to be given privileges for either thing, or want them to be looked at in a negative way for either thing. But if I'm not doing anything to affect change, then what am I really doing? So that was really my motivation to start a scholarship fund. Uh, I'm trying to get to. I'm getting back to the book, right? So the scholarship fund was. I didn't know what I was doing with it, but I ended up hiring six people. That I put out, I put out a, a blog post that turned into an Instagram post. It was like, "Look, I'm going to hire six people. I'm going to h- pay them a salary for uh, three months to get licensed in my business as a, a you know, licensed professional in my business." And um, as here's the link to go apply. I don't really have a plan. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I want to do this. So I put the link out there. We got we got a ton of applications. I ended up picking uh four people and they came in and they started and, and I was really flying by the seat of my pants and it was right when people could come outside again, essentially. And uh, we started training them and they they all pretty much got licensed, I think, except one person. They all got jobs with me at some point. and And uh, that was like, wow, I really like this means something to me. And, and that kind of is what started to me to examine the growth trap, which I, I viewed as that we get to – I go through these growth traps all the time, and a growth trap is basically we're born – we grow automatically, right? We get bigger, we get stronger, we get smarter. We're not doing anything basically into our adolescence, and at some point, we have to force growth, and some people just don't do it. They stop. So the thought in front of – I was like, wow, that really resonates with me. Let me start telling people what my story is, and that's how I started writing the book. So it's a long story, but that's how I started writing the book.
1: No, but I I think that's the that's the beauty of it is because it comes it comes from such a purposeful place. And I think the you know if you if you're going to put something out there and you're going to affect change, it has to have intention and it has to have purpose. And that's exactly what you know you're talking about is being able to you know you talk about your kids, you talk about your wife, you talk about the experiences you've had. You're trying to create something different, and that's something so hard because today there's incredible amounts of divisiveness even in the places where you think there would wow. be a higher elevation because we it is a diverse place we can you know have these conversations that emanate respect despite having different opinions but that's not the way that things are projected to us and people get very caught up in the glorification of what's on the news what gets promoted in social media and it's this highlight reel of all mostly like 90% negative stuff, like I, I barely can remember anything positive. That's why I too don't watch the news. I'm more of read, reading kind of things that can, can capture me from, from the most unbiased way, which is very difficult to find <laughs> these days. But, no but then I think, you know, for anyone who's listening, one of the best places to go when you feel helpless or you feel hopeless, like when you got in your car and you thought that, which is such a kind act to do, right? It's like, you want to go and you want to do something, but the best place that you can go to affect change is to go within, because it's here that nobody else has that story. Nobody else has that experience. So you can manifest that into something even greater than you probably can imagine.
0: Yeah. And that was really, yeah, like I, I felt like I had built myself up over 20 years and I had all this access to these good people around me and these, and these good resources. Right. But what am I doing if I'm not sharing them? So like, we really went and looked out, looked for people who didn't have access. I wanted younger individuals, 23 or under that didn't have access and didn't know if they could get access. And I want, I put them in my office. Like I put them in front of me in my office and they sat here every single day. And it's like, you guys didn't get access. Like you're me, but then what do you do with it? Right? So, so that was really the goal of it. And I, you know, I'm working on trying to still expand that to this day we have one or two people right now, but I really want to create it into more of an Academy eventually, which is what um, we're currently working on. But you know, that's the, that's the thing. Like it, it's great to have access and it's great to um, have all this nice stuff. Right. But what if, if money's not going to make you happy, money makes life easier in my opinion. Right. And money gives you access to things that you probably wouldn't have access to. It makes life easier, but it doesn't make you happy, which is why I think that when you see people live in excess, they live in excess because they're always chasing that high of when they get something new or they buy something. Right. They're always, but it doesn't make you happy. Like you've got to be some kind of purpose to what you're doing every single day. And, um, you know, all the money and all the access and all the accolades in the world aren't going to make me feel better. So I know that the only way I can really do that is to, to get people not following me, but standing next to me. Right. Like how do we create more leaders? Right. Like if I can create more people standing next to me on stage in front of the room, wherever. Right. Um, then that is impacting and affecting change, and that's what I really want to do.
1: Yeah, and one of the things I admire so much about you is that you're a millennial advocate. You you advocate for young people. What's the motivation behind why you want to encourage the, the those young, hungry, you know, folks, but maybe need a little bit more direction because they don't have as much experience yet.
0: Yeah, I think that it's it's the same thing as 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 when I talk about racism, right? I think there's ages in a lot of ways, both both ways. But I think that people try to discount what, what younger people have to say or discount how they're doing things because they either don't understand it or they don't necessarily, you know, believe what they say. Or if there was insecurity, it's like oh, whatever, it doesn't make sense because they're trying to like not accept something that they may be afraid of. So like it's the same thing with them. Like I was once that person um, who didn't think I needed help and didn't think I needed mentorship and didn't think I needed to learn from other mistakes. And because I went that path, I learned the hard way. Like I really learned the hard way with everything. So I'm I'm trying to communicate to people who are younger than me that like, hey, you don't have to learn the hard way. Come here. I'll talk to you about how, why this is the way I did it and, and how you do it this way. And on top of that, I still make mistakes every single day. Do you want to see them? Great. Cause it's not going to cost you a dime. Just come and see what I'm doing every single day that I'm screwing up and, and maybe you won't do the same thing.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that transparency is so important, you know, because we're not—none of us are flying on high and reach this omnipotent point where you never need to ask for help. You know, all things—you're at the top of the mountain, and plus, it's really lonely if you were standing there by yourself. Anyways, that would be a really crappy hike. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. You're right. Who wants to be alone there? So I agree with you.
1: Yeah. Well, I—I I, want to ask you because this is an interesting time in real estate. Sure. The big things that that the the headliners, right, the interest rate Mm -hmm. is going up like, oh, there's a lot of fear. That's that's one observation I've made. So in the past two years, I've bought and sold homes um, last year and this year in an up and down market. So awesome when you're like, oh, I could get over asking. And this is fantastic, multiple offers, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) boom, you're in a different scenario. And it's like, oh, okay, now you're making compromises as a seller, you're dropping your price, you're doing all this stuff. Um, You know, the reality is that things are always gonna be changing. Doesn't matter who's president. It doesn't matter, you know, what's going on. The market is the market, it's gonna change. What would you tell people who have that fear right now that are going, oh my God, the interest rate, I just don't know. Who knows what's, when it's going to change? Should I buy? Should I sell? What do you tell those people?
0: So I think I think real estate, which I proved uh, through, through some hardships, as a long-term investment is still the best investment. Um, if you look at real estate compared to the stock market, it's, it's like twice the amount of return on investment since 1981. So um, I think, you know, as a long-term investment, it's good. Now in that, Long term, in the short term, there's going to be some of this, right? So I think two things. If I if I wanted to buy today, um, which I still am, I'm in contract on another property right now, right? Um, I think you have to look: does this property at today's interest rates meet my budget or my income expectation if it's an investment property, right? Does it meet what I can afford to pay every single month or my income, it, it, my my potential investment income from it, right? Does it meet those? those requirements. If it does, then great. Then it's a good time to buy. But in the next three to five years, you're going to see some of this, right? You're going to see some of the ups and downs of it. And, but I can tell you, and this is a good example. I had properties in Florida pre-crash, 2008 crash. Um, those properties at some point were worth like 30, 40 cents on the dollar way after the crash. I bought them for 220. They were worth like 70 or like 60, like destroyed. I still own. Um one of them today it was worth seventy thousand it's now worth two hundred and eighty thousand again it's a it's a income producing asset for me um over the long term, I will win on that property so that's one example and i don't want anybody to take any kind of hard shits but i'm I think real estate is still a great investment over the long term so it, like anything else it's all relative. If you can buy a house at it's at what it's really worth today and not overpay, but what it's really truly worth today in market value and it meets your budget, then it's still a good investment long-term.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's a difficult thing because it's emotional. I think that's, that's one of the reasons why the process of real estate, especially if it's the first time anybody's doing anything is challenging because it's usually one of the most, the biggest investments that people make and there's an emotional energy behind it. So sometimes pulling the trigger is like, ah, I don't know about this. I don't know. And so it's, it's nice to hear, you know, from someone who has been through and personally gone through yeah. the dips and the successes that it, it is the long game when it comes to doing something like Absolutely. this. Yeah. Yeah. So what, you know, uh, I'm a little eager beaver around this because I personally, as an investor had started with, um, short term rental. Because it was just kind of like the buy and hold. It kind of seems safe. You find the right tenant. You have them pay. It's consistent. You make some profit. And then there's just this this era of the short-term rental. There's videos on it. You can YouTube it. There's podcasts on it. People are making all this bank. It's so exciting. I know you've got a number of Airbnbs. Why is that? And I've talked to some other investors and people who do like capital uh, funding. Why is that an exciting opportunity right now?
0: So you know for the right properties um, that, that you buy in the right areas and I really try to focus on vacation areas when it comes to this stuff um, it's a higher rate of return on money for your for your, for your, your investment capital. I, I can tell you that I'm making, between two and a two and a half times as much as I do on my long-term rentals or my, you know, my, my yearly lease rental properties. On my short-term rentals, I'm making you know two to three times as much on those properties. Um, but you know, they're getting as they get more popular and it becomes more of an income stream. More regulation comes in, more taxes come in, more competition comes in, and you have to be conscious of it. So it's not an easy. It's not as easy as hey, this is better. I do like it better, but. Um, I do believe that, you know, you have to be, still have to be strategic about where you're buying and how you're buying. And I'll give you an example today, actually, it's it's good (laughs) timing. Um, I have a property, um, on the Jersey shore. It's a it's a beachfront property. That's been one of my best properties to date that I bought for short-term rentals. Um, it's gotten very busy over the last few years down there and the, the local residents are not happy about it. So, you know, with that comes cries to local government to change the laws, which there was no real laws there for short-term rentals except that they allowed it. So now what what that um, culminated in was today they just passed something that's gonna start at the, at the beginning of the year, whereas it, your rentals have to be uh, seven days minimum. So you can't do a one-day rental or two-day rental, three rentals. You have to rent for seven days at a time or you can't rent at all. Or you have to rent or you have to take leases over 90 days. So listen, that is a complete change of shift of strategy because, yeah, sometimes you get seven day rentals, but it's hard. So I'm either going to have to lower my prices to to so it's more affordable for people and or make have less bookings. Like so, it's you know, that's a really prime example of stuff, stuff shifting. So one of my cardinal rules, which in this particular situation, um, I did follow, but it didn't end up making a difference was that. I want to buy in places that have short-term rental guidelines in place already so that because when they have nothing, there's something coming usually. Right. So in this place, they kind of had nothing except that it was legal. Um, And now, you know, they've made some strict guidelines around it. So um, it just makes it more difficult. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and and some places, whereas the reason I like buying short-term rentals is because the data for short-term rentals, Airbnb, Airbnb, VRBO report, exactly how much you're renting your property for, right? So it's public information. So I love that I can go look at an investment strategy and I don't gotta guess, I, don't, I, I can look at, okay, this house did $100,000 in gross revenue this year. If I buy a house down the block, I should be able to replicate like their success, right? But with that, local governments come in and said, hey, um, we're gonna start taxing this income and you have to report and be taxed on it. So I've had a couple places where I have properties One property, two properties in Florida in particular, where now I have to pay a 3% tax on my rental, which wasn't in place before. So, you know, there's good and bad about it, but I will tell you overall, it depends what your ultimate goal is. Um, I like the idea of uh, creating homes that I can create experiences out of, that um, they could be specialty homes, that I can give people a good customer experience and and make them into recurring customers right um i like not having to worry about uh rental laws and uh you know terminating somebody's lease and getting them out of the house and and that stuff like i you know that's that could depending new york and new york and new jersey where i own a lot of my large scale multifamily um that's a big problem you know evicting people is not easy so i like not having to deal with that but it just i still think you should diversify it should, i don't think it should be all short term rental But um, I think that that's what, you know, I I think there is definitely more income on those properties. And with those properties, I've been able to buy more properties with my profits just from the rentals. Right. With multifamily investing or or single family home investing, you're not going to make enough money month to month to use that money to buy another property over the short term. But with Airbnb, you can.
1: Yeah. I'm, um, I'm with you. That's, that's why I had to do, you know, see for myself and do that diversification. But you're right. It is a completely different strategy. It's, uh, you're, it's different risk. You have to yes. do a lot of research. I spend so much time on Air DNA, just looking at numbers and seeing where things are at and what seasonal shifts, you know, cause I'm, I'm in the Las Vegas market. I told you before. It's very interesting. It's a, it's a travel extravaganza, you know, the yes. kind of conference and, um, you know every kind of person celebrating something is coming to my town for some reason so to uh-huh. yeah, uh, yeah,
0: there's always business around right like it, there's always something going on so yeah exactly
1: yeah it's been amazing like the kind of requests we get it's like every single one is totally different um uh, because we do short term rentals but also events so that's the Got other it. the other side of it is you yeah. know uh, specific special events that people want and it's like by the time they figure out how to do all that on the Las Vegas strip, it's like, oh gosh, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> depends. Depends, depends, yeah. Are, depends the budget, all these different things, but no, I appreciate that. I appreciate you just talking about the honest, you know, different things. So I am very curious and you've noted it a few times in our conversation is what's next for you. Cause it sounds like there's a few things that are cooking up and culminate.
0: <laughs> um, it's a good. It's a really good question. I had a conversation with somebody about this earlier, who's a um, pretty big. Uh, he's got a pretty big real estate portfolio. Um, I don't know uh, completely. To be talk- if I'm being completely honest, right? What I think is next for financing for these homes is that I I believe in the first two quarters of 2023, you're going to see interest rates come back down again, um, not into the twos and the threes, but I think into the fours and the fives because. You know, I think the government has a plan to raise rates until the end of the year. There is no plan after that. I think what's going to happen between March and April is you're going to see them reduce rates and that will create a lower interest rate and more buying power for people again. Um, So I do think that that's coming and there will be a little bit of a boom that comes with that again. I don't know what strategy is going to be like. If you would have talked to me a year and a half ago and I said, "I love short-term rentals, buy short-term rentals," like I would have given you something clear. Like this is what I'm focused on for the next six months. I think it's very, very hard to tell. But I, I want to, I want to just mention two things that I've seen over the last few days that that tell me that at least buying investment properties, you're still on the right track, and it's what I truly believe. Um, JP Morgan came out yesterday and said they're looking for about. Um, a billion dollars in single family homes that they could they can add to their portfolio and rent um they're looking for a rental portfolio um, a, a couple of large investors are now buying distressed single family rentals already so what I think what they're seeing is that um one that you know people rent always goes up rent does not stop increasing rent's always going up. I think they're realizing that people are um, moving from state to state constantly. People like to live as nomads at this point and rentals really fit um, that lifestyle better. So so I do believe that buying investment properties to rent to people, whether it's short-term or long-term is still a good strategy, which is why I'm still on it. I like the short-term rental uh, idea in that space because I think the way people's habits have changed and go to any of your local airports right now. You're in Vegas. You definitely see this. With all the inflation and recession and high interest rates and all that stuff, travel is busier than it's ever been. And I think it's twofold, right? I think that um, people were cooped up for a little while, so they're getting all the, they're getting their licks in. <laughs> and secondly, I, I believe that people just live differently. Right. They live differently. I'm going to go work from here for a month. I'm going to go here for a couple of weeks. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So I think people, a lot of that's been caused by people's change of habits. So, you know, that just leaves more room for growth um, in, in real estate
1: that way. Yeah, no, I agree. I meet people all the time that have the most fascinating stories about their travel and work experience. A lot like a number of people who have bought RVs and have just driven to different states to live and work simultaneously and then some people because of the nature of what it is that they do which is actually quite a few industries they spend time in different countries even like i'll work a few months here i'll go to europe go to different parts of the u.s and and you just can
0: you can can move around, yeah in a digital
1: solution
0: yes yeah you know the one thing that this pandemic did was speed up um, our adaptation to technology and how we're going to live, you know? And so I think that it probably what's happened over two years, probably would have taken 10, but it's changed our lifestyles. And, and, and I, I believe in a good way overall. So, you know, I, I think that the real estate plays into that.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you talked about a podcast, you've written a book. You made a little mention of this thing on direct TV. What is that all about? What's going on with
0: that? Um, so during um, COVID, uh, we, st- we started uh, I started doing a lot of lives because um, I wanted to talk to people in real estate about what was – first it started with just me. I wanted to talk to people about real estate, what was hap- what I knew from the past, what was happening in the present, what, what I thought would happen in the future. And then I started getting bored of just hearing myself speak. So I started inviting some other people on to do the same, and I started looking for people who were successful in – business or my industry, who had been through some hardships and had a good story to tell, to explain to people what they thought was gonna happen in the present and the future. And then from that, we decided to turn into a television show called The Disruptors Network. And The Disruptors Network was about entrepreneurs who had built a business on their own, um, you know, through some hardships. And from that business, now successful business, they were now showing other people how to do it themselves. So we did the first season. We put it on the streaming networks. Um, it was on Roku and Apple TV and YouTube TV and Amazon Prime. And it was on all the streaming platforms. We got it on the streaming platforms. And from that, um, it got picked up for the second season by uh, a network by the name of Bespoke, uh, who has its own network on DirecTV. Um, they also on all the streaming platforms. And it's going to be on some local networks. So season two, which we filmed already, which is an editing, um, is going to be out uh, early next year.
1: That's so cool.
0: Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> <This thing>. I, <laughs> I, know, I I I'm, to dig things, but, but it's it's cool.
1: <laughs> it kind of streams everywhere. My second, <laughs> it. it's no, no big deal. It's, it's you know, I love it. It's just like, and you keep expanding. But I think what's so cool is that is the reach. You know, your ability to reach more people and inspire. Because you know, as you and I were exchanging stories, I do think that. You know, one of the things that I, as I've matured to different age ages in life, <laughs> it's like when you, you and, and this hit me when you talked about happiness earlier, when you're like, you know, getting more things or having money isn't going to make you happy. It's going to give you access.
0: Right. So that's
1: like, okay, yeah, that's like ding, ding, ding. That makes so much sense. So when I've gone through this journey, which I, I do believe we're all on, which is about fulfillment. I feel like we're on a quest to answer the question of what is fulfillment, what does that look like? It's usually not associated with like a dollar amount, it's access to things to get get us to do stuff that we wanna do to impact the world. But I do do find that fulfillment for me comes from the ability to reach and inspire more people. And so you've talked about some of those different avenues and I think that's just one more avenue which is really cool.
0: Yeah, I think ultimately it's education for me too, right? Same thing as you. Like, I just want to educate people um, on what I've seen, what I think uh, works and doesn't work, and what I think is going to work in the future. And I think that's where I get the biggest boost from is is that portion of it, right? And, you know, I think along with that, though, um, I've I've become hypersensitive about how I spend my time because I have kids that are growing very, very fast. They're seven and nine now. And then every single day, they seem like they grow two years. So uh, you know, I want to be very, very conscious about being present. And you mentioned being present right at the dinner. And that's something I've really had to work on. So I really appreciate you saying that because a lot of what you usually used to see on me was the busy. You saw the busy. And I just would never be present anywhere. Like I'd always be on the phone and always be moving around. And you know, I, I feel like I was just missing out on real conversations and, and real interactions with people, and the things that that you really need for you for your life. To 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 and you know, in the past I would have either not show up at that dinner at all, and or I would have just been on my phone the whole entire time, just kind of half in the conversation, half out. But um, because I didn't do that, I had some great conversations. I met some great people like you, and um, you know, it's it's it bears fruit for you. So I think you know, just being conscious about how you're spending your time and does your time? Are you valuing your time, and in turn, are the people you're talking to valuing your time? And, I, and I, that's just really that's become really really important to me.
1: Yeah, and well, you mentioned time, and you mentioned your cho- your children. I have nieces, and they're thirteen and fifteen. Lord help us. That's age, yeah. It's it's interesting because <laughs> I I look at the you know. The generations that are coming next right we we talked about the millennials that you help and then there's the ones that are even next after i don't even know the names of the next ones after that right like the ages of your kids but it it is a different time you know that we're moving through a time and space of digital you know and, and, and most of it is positive honestly i do mm-hmm. believe oh, but i also think it's a little overwhelming so i'm just curious you know as a dad what are the kinds of challenging things that you talk to your kids with? I know they're seven and nine, but honestly seven and nine today was probably a lot different than me and you at seven yeah, and
0: nine. They have, they have a lot, they have so much more information than we had. So it's just a different, you're dealing with different. Um, it's totally different than my upbringing. Uh, I, I was talking to a really good friend of mine today who I haven't, I haven't seen him. He's one of my best friends. He lives on the West coast. So I don't see him that much, but he was back today. Um, he's, he was like my younger brother before I had, Kids. He's. I met him when I was about 25, and he was about 18. Um, and he's grown to be very, very successful in the music business. Um, his name is his music name is Sycamore. He's a producer, and uh, he was Travis Scott's A uh, and R for all his albums. He manages a bunch. But he's he's become a huge success. And um, what we kind of talked about today is that, like, you know, he was a younger generation to me at some point, but he's not anymore, right? And we and I started getting into what my kids are like, and. Um, just like I kind of did with him when I was, when I think I was mentoring him when we were younger is that I just talk to them as adults. Um, I'm very straight up with them. I explain why to them, uh, why we're doing things, why we're trying things. I, I'm constantly thinking about what they're thinking about and how I can connect with them more. It's become a challenge for me. Um, and because, that's the case i really love having them around me because i'm constantly like learning and um but i just try to be as real as i possibly can with them i don't try to hide stuff from them i don't oversaturate them with things i don't think they need to know but at the same time like i answer questions i take them everywhere with me and i just try to expose them to different people different things and over the summer me and my son who's nine now so he's old enough to kind of get on the bike with me and ride through the city uh, of manhattan and uh, he's gotten really into basketball the last couple of years, so I took him to, to ride around to all the like the famous basketball courts in New York City and the Rucker and Dykeman, and West Fourth Courts and like, um, you know, for the most part, there are neighborhoods that are good and bad, right? Like they're they're real true New York City neighborhoods that have their good parts and their bad parts. I growing up the way I did, know how to move around those blocks, those streets, and those neighborhoods where he's not going to be any danger. I know where I can go. I know where I can't go. I know who I can talk to. I know who I can't talk to. He doesn't have that. He had me, but you know, so that's so what I think about. It, I'm like, I'm concerned that they're not going to have the street smarts that I had, but they're going to have smarts that I didn't have at all. So there's, there's always challenges in life, right? They're going to be a lot more educated. They're going to be a lot more well-read. They to have a lot more knowledge. Things are going to come easier to them that way. And some of the things that I was good at by force, um, they're not going to have as much of a use for, it, but if they do, they're going to have to learn them in a different manner. So, I, you know, I just try to keep an open mind to it. I try to be patient. Uh, it takes a lot of patience, but I, I try to talk to them uh, as if they're adults. So, you know, I'm not. I don't baby talk them. I don't. Um, I don't down talk them. I don't try to, you know, shield them from everything. I just try to talk to them like they're adults.
1: I, oh, I, I love your, I love your outlook and I, and I, I love that honesty and that transparency because it's, it's, you know, unfortunately I think if you don't have that, they're going to have so much of it when they're not with you
0: because they're going to get
1: everywhere else between friends and uh, TV and social media and every, every, everywhere they turn, there's going to be a something. So might as well be getting your take.
0: Yeah. And you know what? Um, my parents, my mother and father, you know, um, they're Italian, and the Italian way, like, and, and I think it's part of most immigrant cultures, was that um, we tell the need to know kids are on a need to know basis, right? Until this day, I'm still on a need to know basis on things that I should not be. <laughs> but um, my father was somebody who let me learn on my own. Um, he didn't try to control what I was doing. He didn't try to tell me what to do. And I think at some point, I probably needed that. And I didn't have it, but at the same time, he did me a huge favor because long term, he was right. Right, that was the way it was supposed to be. But I, you know, I did some stupid things along the way. Like I just I, I followed the wrong people and um, I got involved in the wrong things. But they were good learning lessons for me. And, and I think if you try to shield them from everything and don't let them make mistakes and try to control everything they do, that you're just setting up for failure at some point in life. Um, yeah. Whether it's now or later, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna turn out to failure. So you know that's just. How I learned, I learned when I, after I had them and I reflected back on my childhood, that's what I realized about it. I was like, oh, wow, he really just let me go and go through it. But it worked, it ended up working out. So I, 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 you know, I, I took, I took a lot of, yeah, I, I took a lot of um, value in that.
1: Yeah. No, I, I do. I, I, I think there's, there's so much value to that. And um, you learn, you learn the resiliency. <laughs> you learn how to get back up after you fall down, and that's where right. I think the sure. most most learning comes from. So I want to ask you a couple questions, you know, just to kind of get your essence a little bit more. And my first one is because my show is called Born Unbreakable. Is what makes you unbreakable?
0: Um, so if I had one unbreakable quality, I, I believe it's consistency. Um, I'm consistency to nauseam and I apologize for all the changing light. It's I'm actually on the water and it's because the sun's coming down. So it's, it keeps changing the shadows around me. So if you see that, that's what's happening. I'll show you as much as I can. I don't know if you can see it. You can't see the light, but that's really, hey, so, that's so it's, cool. it's down. So it's just, uh, it's that time of day here. But, um, yeah, I think that consistency, I, I when I'm not good at something, when I'm not, um, feeling well when I'm not into it, when I don't, whatever, right? It doesn't matter. I'm consistent. I'm very consistent every single day. I exercise every single day, not because I'm some freak of nature who loves pain and stress, but it's because I need, I need the consistency of it. I just need the consistency of it. It makes me mentally much more clear. So I am just very, very consistent. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm not the most dynamic guy in the room. I'm not the Anything, right? But I'm very, very, I will out-consistent most people. So I think (laughs) what makes me unbreakable, it's that.
1: I love it. And you are an inspiration. And like I said, I'm telling you all, if you follow him, he will make you get more consistent. (laughs) (laughs) Whether it's related to business or taking care of yourself personally,
0: because it's a
1: right like it is a hard thing sometimes you yeah. wake up it's a foggy morning you have a headache you're a little tired you're not trying to do the things but i think it is when you become a person that can do the things in spite of those adversities that you can make it it's a it's a symbolism really right yeah. of how you look with anything
0: i i try to think i i always try to think of the end result when i want to do something and or i don't want to do something um and what being that is that i know if i don't get out of bed and exercise Maybe I'll be a little bit more rested, but I guarantee you by eight or nine o'clock in the morning, I'm like, why didn't I just go? Like, oh. what, what What was the purpose? So like, I always think of that, right? I, that's, you know, and whenever I don't want to do something or I don't want to go someplace, it's like, is this going to benefit me in my life? Yes, all right, and just.
1: Go through stop. your mental mental checklist of important questions and then just, just like just do
0: it. Yeah, so I, I just, I try to think of the end result rather than how I feel in that moment, because we can definitely be emotional in the moment.
1: Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> what What's a self limiting belief that you've had to overcome?
0: Um, I think, like most people, and this is general, but I'm trying not to be general, is that just that I'm not good enough and I don't belong. Um, you know that I don't I don't belong where I am. And the further and further I've advanced in my career and in life, um, the bigger better rooms i've gotten in i've always realized that I, I i can go anywhere and it's not because i'm super special it's just because there is nothing holding us back from from working with anybody or working on anything or succeeding in place except our, it's always ourselves it's so always ourselves it's so frustrating to me when i stand in front of somebody who has a great idea or a great concept or a great outlook on something and i'm talking to them and i know they're not going to do it like we could talk about it for two hours and i know they're not going to do it right so that's the most frustrating thing in the world to me is just to activate it. Just try it. Rip the bandit off. What's the worst that can happen? So I think I've had to overcome that a million times in my life to like, eh, do I really belong here? Is this person really better than me? All the times that I failed miserably, it's because I mentally stopped myself from succeeding. Every single, I promise you, every single time. I didn't cause the market crash in my brain at all, but um the darkness i went into because of it and the, the the backward steps i took further than i should have were all based on my own mental limitations yep. not anything was happening in the market sometimes you got to take 10 steps backwards to go forwards and i have to realize that as well right like i'm it's not going to always be forward steps sometimes you have to go backwards mm-hmm. to go forward so i think you know like most people that that's definitely my biggest limiting belief is is um, that i'm not good enough to do something um, yeah. and this is not true
1: yeah greatest right. self conflicted all day, every day.
0: <laughs> oh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So, what would you say then? Because you know, um, I I actually think it could be many things. So, I'm curious what you'll say. Is um, what is one of your superpowers? Like something that you're so good at that you're proud of.
0: That's good. That's a good question. Um, so, I think that I, I am I am very very good um, at seeing. Uh, the good or great in other people. I think that that's something I, I'm very good at. Like people can tell me they have an idea of doing this and they're doing through that. And I was like, that's amazing. And this is why that's your story. And this is why your story is important. And it's, I think that's where I excel. Like seeing the great in other people, um, like maybe they, they can't even see themselves sometimes, but I see it. And that's where my frustrations come in most also, because why aren't you doing this? Like, why aren't you using this? Why aren't you doing this? But I think seeing the good in other people is definitely um, something that really comes easily to me. Uh, and I, I when I see it, it always seems very clear to me.
1: I think that's why you have a lot of people standing next to you, Ralph.
0: Thank well, you. I hope so.
1: <laughs> people are so good at that. What? Is something on your bucket
0: list? Good question. Um, What is something on my bucket list? So, like I said, I think I'm I'm hyper-obsessed with my children at this point in
1: life. It's an obsession. I feel like that's a healthy one. (laughs) It's
0: a healthy obsession, yeah. So I think that... um, you know, seeing some things through with them, connecting with them on something we can see through together is definitely, and, and and for both of them, it's something different. For my son, it's a little bit more clear than my daughter at this point, just because she's younger and she's very girly and it's it's harder. It's it's more challenging for me to connect with her than it is with him. Um, But she's, and the other reason why it's challenging for me to connect with her is because she don't care. She's like, I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. And She's very comfortable in her own skin, and she's not going to necessarily do things that I want her to do if she doesn't want to do them. So, so I think the challenging is how can I connect with them better, and how can we see things through together? I think that's what I, I think about every single day. I'm always trying to think about what they're thinking. Kobe Bryant um, is somebody I think about every single day, which scary enough that I, that's somebody I never met in my life. But he's somebody who's resonated with me more than almost anybody that I've ever thought about, right? and what i really connect with him on is his post career not his career but his post career and we're the same age we're born like i think uh, like uh, two weeks apart um and he was like hyper obsessed with his his children and and their success and the t- and he michael jordan told a story about him in his eulogy where he said um kobe would message him crazy hours of the night and ask him crazy questions and he said to him Hey, like at two o'clock in the morning, he texted him. He's like, Hey, when you were 12 years old playing basketball, what were you thinking? And he's like, What? I don't know what I was thinking. He was like, I, I was probably thinking about playing baseball. I didn't even like basketball. And I was 12 years like, I don't know what you're talking about. But he's like, Why are you asking me for this? And he's like, I'm trying to figure out what my, goes through my daughter's head on, 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 on the level she is right now playing basketball. And like, that just resonated with me so much. Like, I was just like, Yes, like that. Like that makes so much sense to me. He had become hyper obsessed with women's basketball and excelling women's basketball and making it a thing. And it's just like something completely outside of what he did. And, and and you know, I just think that I so connect with that, not because he said it, but because I feel it. I generally feel that. Like, how do I connect with them to make them great? Like, I all the great stuff that I that maybe other people think I've done, and um, sometimes I reminisce and think that was good. I still feel like the, my purpose on this earth was to um, one, be a father and get them to, to be something great. And two, just get, I think I'm here as a conduit to get other people to find their greatness. I really like feel that in my soul.
1: <laughs> I, I know that that's accurate because I have those moments too where the, my essence and my being, my purpose is truly a vessel. I, I know I'm just a vessel. For, for other things. So it's not about me. It's, it's a channel to accelerate, to execute things of, of the people around me. So I, I know that, that feeling that you're talking about. And I love the, the description that you, you have of Kobe, because when I think of Kobe and, and he'll be talked about every day for eternity by all walks of life, you know, and yeah. all over the world. And I think. that was something that was running through my head as we're having this conversation in this episode is legacy is like, what's the like And I think that's the thing is when you, it's not about what you've accomplished and gosh, that man has accomplished more than I think anybody can, can even, you know, fathom, but it's, it's the legacy that he leaves because of who he is as a person, not because of like all these accolades.
0: A thousand percent. Yeah. I think what he, you know, um, I don't take a lot of, probably to to a fault. I don't put a lot of value on on accomplishing things by myself, um, whether it's been awards or it's been uh, athletic accomplishments or endurance events, races I've won and stuff like. I don't take a lot of uh, value in it. I just kind of am always on to the next thing. And I've had people say to me a bunch of times, "Can you just sit and enjoy for two seconds?" And I'm just like, I. I I don't know. I enjoy the process of things and I enjoy involving other people. But if somebody else is successful or somebody tells me they were successful, something I did, I hold a lot of value to that. Like, like that is more valuable to me than 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 almost anything. Like, you know, like so, I you know, I'm not like a saint. I'm just I'm being selfish. Right. Like I want to do the things that make me feel good. And it, mm-hmm. it makes me feel good when other people feel good. If that's yes. how I'm, that's how I'm walking. Right. It's not it doesn't make me a saint. It doesn't make me better than anybody else. It's just how I'm wired. Mm-hmm. And, and if I'm reacting to the things that make me feel good and I want to feel good more, that's it.
1: Well, I'm glad you're wired that way. because. <laughs>
0: that
1: but with that, Ralph, if you could give one last piece of advice to anybody who's listening to this podcast right now, what would it be?
0: Um, bet on yourself more, right? Like believe in yourself and bet on yourself more because there's something there's something unique about all of us, right? There is something unique about all of us. Whether or not you found that or not, I don't know. Um, or maybe you'll never find it, but you should try, right? You should bet on yourself and continue to try. And I, I bet on myself every single day. And some days I don't feel like doing it, and some days I feel like don't I don't feel like motivating other people. And but um, I continuously bet on myself, and uh, it works. Out, it's worked out in the long run. I feel like. I think so. So how?
1: <laughs> Well, how can people find you? How can they follow you?
0: So my Instagram is is probably easiest place. It's at uh, debug. It's D-I-B-U-G. And I respond to all my messages there. Um, my website is ralphdburgnara.com. There's a bunch of stuff on there from the book to my real estate course to um, videos, free stuff. So ralphdburgnara.com is a good place to kind of go there and get stuff. And um, I'm accessible. So if, you have any, if this may, gives you any questions at all, let me know and I will respond. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. You've got the one-stop shop with your website. I've mentioned your your Instagram. It's You've been amazing to follow. You're very inspiring. I love Thank what you do. I just love the transparency of how you do it. So I appreciate with knowing all the, the major things that you have on your plate and the holidays that are approaching that you took time out of your busy schedule to to spend it with me today. Thank you.
0: Well, this is very well done. And I watched some stuff before I got on and you, you do this, you do a very good job with this. So um, thank you for having me because I appreciate it. Cause I think it's a great platform.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Ralph. Ralph Debugnara. It was amazing to have him on the show, AKA Debug. Hope you're following him now on Instagram. What I love about Ralph is three things. Tenacity. Three, two, one. It was so amazing to have Ralph D. Bagnara on the show and I wanted to tell you about his book. So I know we talked about it a little bit, but just so you could go get it on Amazon, it's called The Growth Trap, a continuous plan to avoid the traps of life and build a better you. It is a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller, so trust me when I say there is good information for you to learn. Three of the things that stand out to me the most about Ralph are grit, transparency, and unwavering action. Just the way that he pursues life is that He is always in that comeback zone, whether it was a recession, whether it was things that didn't go right as a teen that he made decisions in, or even in his real estate decisions in his recent years, or conversations that he would have with his kids. You know, he pursues relentlessly the things that he believes in. And that's that extra fortitude, that grit, that persistence in life. And I think that's why he's gotten to where he is and is doing so many amazing things like bringing the second season of his show to DirecTV. Transparency is so threaded through his life. He's not afraid to say the things that went wrong. He is honest. I think if you follow him, you'll see that. He's not afraid to talk about mistakes or talk about things that didn't go his way and just unwavering action. You know, I love that he is a person that can make a decision and go, you know, I don't know everything that's gonna happen, but we're gonna figure it out. You know, you're gonna get the right team around you and together you're gonna to to, to build. I, I really enjoyed that he said, it's not about people following him, it's about people standing next to him. How amazing is that as a philosophy, if we all thought about how we could build more and more and more people to stand next to us versus just to be inspired by us. It's for them to live their best life, to go through their journey and get all the outcomes beyond their wildest imagination and be standing with you and celebrating life with you. That's what it's all about. I I really thoroughly enjoyed learning from him, his energy, just an amazing all-around guy. So definitely get his book, follow his work. I hope you were inspired today. And if you were, please share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it. You could make their day. You could change their life with just one decision to share a little bit of something that somebody needs. I know it's made a difference in my life when people share with me. And so I hope that you can pay it forward and do the same. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and follow the Born Unbreakable podcast you can continue to stay inspired with all the future episodes on the show. I'm excited as we move into a new year to think about the ways that I'm going to continue to engage you as my incredible audience. So thank you for continuing to stick with me, to be here, to support me. We're going on this journey of life together. I absolutely believe that you're standing beside me. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for that. I also just, you know, as we head into the holidays, and, uh, you know, it's a very reflective time for me. I, I tend to be a little bit harder on myself and um, thinking about if I'm accomplishing everything I really want to accomplish in the world. Um, and I'm trying to do a better job of giving myself grace, but I do think that a place that we can get to that makes us feel good is a place of gratitude. So. I would absolutely ask you and invite you to answer the question, what are you thankful for? When you think about sitting around a table with the people that you love, friends, family, and maybe even new people that will be sitting around your table this year, sharing a meal, sharing conversation, what does that mean to you? You know, what really are you thankful for? And just lean into that. I loved hearing Ralph talk about his kids and having that be his bucket list item is really working to accomplish things with them. That's probably one of the best answers that I've ever heard on the show. Uh, And this this is really a time that you can dig deep and and connect with yourself and connect with others In this season and and hopefully that's something that you can carry through even into the new year is doing a better connection and being thankful for you and your own growth too in the process so remember that you are your only limit so take action today can't wait to see you on the next episode of the born unbreakable podcast